Hi, I'm Manuente Reme, Ichab from Star Trek Voyager and the executive producer of The Circuit Urbiesa, and you're listening to Neil Before Pod. Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Hello, and welcome to another confused edition of Neil Before Pod, a podcast that could end the world but doesn't want to. I'm your host Craig and we're here to continue our coverage of Legion Season 2. This time we're discussing episodes 8, 9 and 10 or chapters 16, 17 and 18. And circling the desert drain with me we have Chris. Hello. And Aaron. I refuse to take part in that. I'm not, no, I'm not <laughs> circling that drain. No, not happening. <laughs> Nothing that even might remotely be a pun. However, I can acknowledge that I am in fact here. Yeah. <laughs> so you are cir- circling the uh, figurative drain. No. Is this podcast. No, I am far above that. I'm not in a desert. I'm in a nice forest or housing estate. <laughs> I'm anywhere else. But we do know that in the last podcast, Aaron canonically participated in a pun. No. It's canon. It did. It really happened. It didn't it's been happen. recorded. It that was, was a false reality created by the Shadow King. It wasn't real. <laughs> well, there's a bunch of listeners who, who acknowledge it as real. Shadow King is powerful enough to take all of them under his sway. Do not think that is reality. Is that what it is? How um, much do we count as a bunch? Uh, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna go on less Netflix. than a legion. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna go on Netflix and refuse to release the exact figures. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say it was more than one. Let's just say that. Okay, before we begin, we will do our new hit feature that is taking the internet by storm, the Neil Before Rise Against feature, where we pick one good thing and one bad thing that we've kind of come across since the last podcast. Aaron, why don't you start us off? What are you kneeling before this week? I am kneeling before Legion getting season three. Slight cheat, but I'll allow it. That's not a cheat at all. It happened in the last week, and I like it to happen. How is that possibly a cheat? It's, the point is to kind of talk about other things contrary to the topic that we're talking about. But I'll allow it. It is a third season no, that's happening. that was not in the in the description that I was given. I was said, what is it that you are you are interested in that you liked from this week's news? It definitely meets the, the criteria. As I say, I'll allow it. Good. Yeah, season three, cool. That means we might do another, some form of podcast recap next year or whenever it appears. Uh, as far as I'm aware, it was quite a surprise that it got a third season based on the declining ratings of the season. Um, you have that over me. I didn't realise that was a thing. Uh, well, you just see reports about how uh, Legion was tanking in the ratings and, and things like that. So, I was just surprised because we were getting the extra episode and I kind of had the feeling that the extra episode would have been like a little bit they had recorded of season three already and they were dropping it because they didn't think they were going to get one. <laughs> but, yeah. What, like Lucifer? Oh, he's still, he's still upset. Yep. <laughs> until they still renew upset. It, until they renew it, I will keep going on about it. I'm going to keep it alive. Keeping Lucifer alive. So was it was it um, more that the two parts of this? Oh, sorry, was it more that this this extra episode is not an extra episode? Was it something like it was a double episode and it's just been split in two? I don't know. They they haven't made it clear why the extra episode was ordered. 
the the theory was that it was supposed to be a kind of wrap up, assuming it never got a chance to kind of wrap up. But it seems that it was ordered earlier than that. I mean, skipping way ahead here, but it seems it was ordered earlier than that, judging by the events of the tenth episode where things aren't wrapped up. So, um, who knows? Uh, I don't know. Maybe the the news will come out uh, a later date. Anyway, third season. Fair enough. Chris, what are you kneeling before? I am kneeling before a rather cool cloak and dagger featurette. Uh, I was going to say Marvel have released it. I suppose they have. Netflix have released it ahead of the show popping up on people's feeds as of... Well, actually, of uh, as of the time we are doing this podcast, but it'll be in your your thing. It's uh, it looks quite interesting, actually. So, yeah, I'm, Wait, I'm I interested. This. Cloak and Dagger is going to be on Netflix. Uh, it has got a, a Netflix thing, yes. What like one on one with its release in the US? I believe it's going to be on Netflix, or have I uh, have I misspoken? Uh, well, it was. It wasn't supposed to be on Netflix. Oh, am I putting three and four together and coming up with twenty-one? Oh, 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 uh, oh. Which I probably uh, am. Okay. The series, which debuts in the US on June seventh, will premiere on Amazon Prime in the UK on June eighth. Ah, right. Okay. And weekly thereafter, meaning UK viewers will be just one day behind their American counterparts. I'm getting my platforms wrong. Let's go with that then. Well, everyone gets Amazon and Netflix. Yeah, uh, Amazon and Netflix. There we go. Yeah, yeah. I know what I'm talking about. That's cool, though. Um. They Let's kneel before Amazon and people's smart speakers. <laughs> they should do more of this. Um, you know, it's not quite one-on-one, but it's close enough. It, it's very close, and that, I kind of like that. And it's a, a neat little... Um, they've sort of done a little premiere trailer thing, so they're sort of talking through the characters. They're basically breaking down a bit more of the trailer that we've already seen. It looks interesting. I'm definitely going to give it a little watch and, and see what it's all about. I am going to watch it as well, and I will decide after watching one episode whether I'm going to review it or not. I mean, I probably will, but I miscalculated what day it would be available, so I kind of thought it would be, um, it would be a Thursday, but it's not. It's a Friday, and do I really want to commit to ten weeks of Friday reviews? Eagle-eyed readers can stay tuned, and by the time this podcast is published, I will probably have made that decision. So if there are Cloak and Dagger reviews, I've decided to do it. If there aren't, I've decided not to. Uh, But I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I like a Marvel show. Uh, Although don't think this makes up for the month delay on Ant-Man Marvel. Yeah, you're not forgiven. (laughs) Yeah. Still bitter about that. And Lucifer. Yeah. Uh, Stay tuned for our Ant-Man and the Wasp spoiler special when none of us have seen the film. Because we don't need to. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh please can we just do a random spoiler podcast where we sit there and go well i guess this happens uh yeah i don't know i've read the synopsis that i couldn't avoid thanks <laughs> according to the meme on instagram <laughs> <laughs> according to this meme that i don't really understand i think this happens yeah so that's cool do you think i'll need to have seen infinity war before i see ant-man and the wasp yes that's a shame I don't know I'm going to do that. <laughs> yeah, you should How? probably see Infinity War. It's down to like three screenings. You should probably go do that. Not right now, because we're in the middle of something, but, but definitely do that. <laughs> see, see you later, Aaron. Come back, come yeah, back once you've watched Infinity War. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, cool. So that that is a good one. Uh, you'll need to send me the link to that featurette so that I can put it in the show notes for a show All that right, we've already yeah, aired sure. by the time that it's um, that this is published, probably. But you know, we'll be we'll be thorough as we always are. Okay. So I am going to kneel before a trailer that I watched recently, like a day or so ago, for Bumblebee, the Transformers prequel. Um, I'm going to preface this by saying that I'm not someone who minds the Transformers films uh, in a conceptual level at least I've enjoyed at least two and a half of them um, I do think the most recent one was complete nonsense, completely silly and I was kind of done with the Michael Bayness of it all but even then I didn't hate the thing I just it was, you know, was kind of done with it which is not the same thing but Bumblebee, it looks it actually looks like a film that has a story that is about characters doing things that make sense when they're characters. It's got a bit of the Iron Giant in there. There's a bit of E.T., a bit of the Love Bug. Uh, Haley Steinfeld, Steinfeld's in it. She's good. Um, Bumblebee's in it. He's a Volkswagen Beetle, which I'm told is kind of a big deal. I'm not a huge Transformers 80s fan, but that was his original form. Aaron, you can probably clear that up. That was correct. Yeah, there we go. Uh, heard it from an expert so it looks good uh, I, th- I believe that Starscream or people say that Starscream is cause, because he's a jet and he has red colouring so there's some colours in this as well instead of this, this amorphous grey silver blobs that, that make up the Decepticons so I'm, hy- I'm hyped about it I think it's going to be good it, it looks different, it looks interesting uh, You sent me on the trailer very excited <laughs> So I was like, oh, it, it might actually be good Yeah, I think my exact words were It looks good, actually good Not just, this is going to be insane and crazy with special effects Like good, like genuinely, like a film <laughs> And it's the same director as Kubo and the Two Strings Which I haven't seen, but I'm told it's very, very good So it'll be interesting to see a non-Michael Bay take on cinematic Transformers yeah, and and they managed to get a bit of "Never Gonna Give You Up" into the trailer, so you know yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that song was number one when I was born. My entire life has been one big rickroll. <laughs> Sometimes it does feel like that. So, that's so if this is not going to be Michael Bay, is this the one Transformers film that I might actually enjoy? You might do. Uh, have a look at the trailer and see what you think if you haven't already. I haven't. Uh, yeah, just have a look. Um, it I have to admit, I just assumed it would be the same utter nonsense that all the rest of them were. Well, I think it's like the same universe as the other films, quote unquote. But um, it certainly seems like a different approach, a much smaller approach, a much more personal mm. approach. I know that Paramount have pulled the next Transformers film from the release schedule, and there's been rumblings that they're planning a reboot because. I guess people are sick of the Michael Bay loud crashing <laughs> four days long runtime stuff. I went into shock when I read how many there's been. Because when I read it, it was down as Transformers 7 removed from Paramount release calendar. Oh, yeah, yeah, this is. And I was sitting there going, Seven? <laughs> They've got up to seven? That yeah, means yeah. there's six that have come before it. I know. I'm currently still watching the last one. That's how long it is. Um, so I'm, I'm quite hyped. Uh, I think that 
Well, I don't know what their plans for the franchise is. I wonder if they're been a, doing a bit of a holding pattern now to see how Bumblebee does, and that will kind of dictate their next plans. Because they could, unless there's loads of references to the other films, they could easily just use this as a springboard for a reboot. You know, Bumblebee's the first Autobot on Earth or whatever, and then Optimus Prime shows up later, and, you know, they could do that. Um, I don't know. It was kind of Bumblebee that kicked off the new franchise when it started, wasn't it? To a degree, I mean, in the sense that he was the first one that you saw. But yeah. Then, yeah. Uh, no, but this one actually looks like it's about the relationship between the lead teenager and Bumblebee. Whereas Transformers kind of wasn't about Shia LaBeouf's re- relationship with Bumblebee. Um, I don't know. It wasn't about that, but it, it was important that the they had a a human connection to it. There were quite a few of the, the comics that referred to the difference between and similarities between between the two species. I think it was I, th- I think it was a, a notable uh, theme, even if it wasn't obviously the central battle. Yeah, uh, and it looks like they're focusing more on that. Like I said, I got a kind of ET Iron Giant vibe when I was watching the trailer, and and the Love Bug purely because there's a Volkswagen Beetle involved. I mean, to my knowledge, Herbie well, who doesn't have a voice. Farmer. Yes. Oh, but Herbie could have been. Oh. Head cannon, yeah. Why not? They've got to put Herbie in there. Do Paramount own Herbie? No. Do they have the rights for that? I don't know. Disney own Herbie. Disney own Herbie. All right. And they don't currently own Transformers. And they don't own Paramount yet. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Next week. Uh, That's what we'll be rising against next week. Disney buys another (laughs) film studio. (laughs) Now every film we watch is made by Disney. So yeah, Aaron, watch the trailer. Uh, you might be pleasantly surprised. Um, looks good fun. I'm looking forward to it. It's out at Christmas. So yeah, that's something to look forward to for me. Anyway. That's the end of our Neil Before side of the feature. Uh, Aaron, what are you rising against? I don't think I'm rising against anything, I have to say. I find it very difficult. Now, I've kind of stolen Chris's thunder here a bit, but maybe you said it in a previous podcast, but it's... Uh, I haven't found anything I'm particularly negative about, so I'm going to go with something that I'm not sure about, that I'm going to have to decide later whether I love or hate. And that is Mortal Engines. Do you know it? No. I've not read the book, but I've seen little bits about it. So there's been a few trailers that have come out even since last year it's this massive lead time so i don't know if the film is being released completely different times in different countries but it's seems like it's been going forever but it's it's a it's it's a steampunk film i think being done by peter jackson set in the far future where by most of humanity has been destroyed by the obligatory apocalypse is there leaving end? indeed leaving uh, only a few people to survive on these mobile killer cities. So, for example, London is, a, is, the, is the bad guy in the film, and the city of London is this giant roving mechanical beast that runs around the landscape trying to chase down and consume these little smaller cities. And, of course, the, the humans are living on these cities um so it's immediately completely ridiculous and also totally sort of apocalypse steampunk or it could be 
there is immediately something that has a potential to be absolutely horrifically awful, or it could actually be an interesting idea that's never been done before, and maybe they do something with it. I think the only thing that really bothers me about the the chances of it being good is it, it's like a simple revenge plot that's sitting in the foreground, and and if they're going to rely on it being just about the 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 computer graphics of these city vehicles running around, then I think we know it's going to be shit. But if they manage to do something really good with the characters, then there's no reason why steampunk can't succeed. But I, I just don't know. I have no idea how this is going to go, but I'm coloured intrigued. I, I do like the graphics of the city on wheels, though. The big, yeah. I mean, in the trailer, I think you only really get London chasing after another town. Yeah. But it is just, you know, it's St. Paul's Cathedral on top of this yes. massive moving base. You've got all these different bits of London. If you've ever been to London uh, or even watched movies set in London, you'll be able to pick out just a load of landmarks that are on this, this beast as it rattles its way through, <laughs> through a, a countryside by the looks of it. It's just huge. Um, I don't know anything about this. I've just been kind of glancing over the Wikipedia article on the film um, while you've been talking. Uh, Peter Jackson is involved, however he's not directing. The director is Christian Rivers, who has never directed a film before. Uh, He's been sprinter unit director, visual effects supervisor, second unit director on a bunch of Peter Jackson films, and Pete's Dragon, where he was the second unit director. The only two films he's been pointed out as a director of for are this one that you're talking about and the Dam Busters remake that Peter Jackson's been trying <laughs> to get made for a long time. Um, it sounds like... Well, I don't know what it sounds like. I like Peter Jackson. Whenever he gets involved in stuff, I'm kind of interested. The cast looks all right. Robert Sheehan, Hugo Weaving, Stephen Lang, Colin Salmon's there too. Um... I don't know. I know nothing about it. Is there a trailer? Yes, I yeah, As I say, it's been it's been it's been out in the trailer verse for ages. Given that it's not actually to be released until the end of this year, then it it was over a year before its release that the trailer came out, which I don't really understand. Okay, according to Wikipedia, the release date is December fourteenth in the US, Aye. which is the usual Star Wars release date. Ish. Around about then. I've put it into my head as the... It's in the same danger zone as I feel whenever somebody mentions the Dungeons & Dragons movie. As in, it's something (laughs) I really wanted to be good, but then watched and thought, Ah, you buggers. (laughs) Okay, cool. Um, So that's your... You're being cautious about it rather than hating on it. Want to like, but fear probably won't. Yeah. Okay, I'll allow it. Well, I'll just have to. It's already been talked about for exactly a minute or two. Chris, what are you rising against? Well, I'm rising against something. Well, you know, I'm kind of on Aaron's uh, point of view here, where I'm going. Am I really rising against this? Yeah, I suppose I am. Actually, I'm totally rising against this. Jared Leto's Joker is getting its own movie. You say that. 
I don't think it actually is going to happen. Much like Jared Leto's Joker. I am reading it on the internet, and I am rising against it. I will rise against the concept of the idea of the potentialness <laughs> of this to become a thing. It is completely unnecessary. It is the Joker that we do not want a solo movie of. Would it be a solo movie of it? God knows. But yeah, do we really need to see that? Do we really? Yeah. Uh, I, I had this on my list of, of things to cover if no one else did because I think it's a terrible idea. I thought Suicide Squad was garbage. I thought he was the worst thing about it. The last thing I want to see is more of him. So why are we getting more of him? Uh, they're also doing another Joker film. You know that one that Martin Scorsese is supposed to be involved mm-hmm. in? It's nothing to do with Jared Leto. So what's happening with that? Um, it feels like DC announced a new film about once a week and then announce the cancellation of another film later in that same week. No, you know, I think um, I think there's about eight films with, with Margot Robbie in them, but I don't know if any of them will get made. So there's like Suicide Squad 2, the Harley Quinn spin-off, some kind of Birds of Prey thing, like Gotham City Sirens, Harley and the Joker or something. So like, are these all the same film that they just keep changing? Or are they all different films? Are they just going to keep Margot Robbie working until she drops? It's either that or they're just going to mash all these things together into some sort of horror story. Yeah. Um, it's, it's one of those bits. It's like I was the same as you. I came out of Suicide Squad and I went, oh, that wasn't very good. But the, the one thing is that you're sitting there going, the Joker was unnecessary in that film. It was like they went and put the Joker in because they had to put the Joker in a, a, a Suicide Squad movie for whatever reason. If they had left him out, if they hadn't had him there and they had announced this week, oh, you're going to get a Jared Leto Joker solo origins tale, people might have went, oh, Jared Leto might be a good Joker. The problem is we've now seen his Joker. We know it's not very good. We're not interested in seeing more. Move along. It's, it's yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure who this, who they are aiming this at, who they are waiting to surprise with it, but, yeah. Or that if they're just testing the water, every time they make one of these release statements, they go, let's see how the internet re- react to this one. All oh, right, they didn't react good. Okay, we will cancel that after we announce this one. Oh, no, they didn't react to that one either. Okay, we will quietly cancel both of them after this one. Uh, yeah, it's not, it's not going well, whatever the strategy is. I don't think it's going to get made. I don't think we have to worry about it. I think it will cut about for a little while before they announce we're not doing that anymore. We're just going to do something else. And it's just like every every other month or so they announce the, the villain in the Batman film that they want to make is going to be someone completely different. Started out as Deathstroke and moved through suggestions of other people and now it's just now it's supposed to be the Penguin maybe. I don't know, that'll change again. None of these things are getting made. DC just like to announce stuff and then never make it. And, you know, based on the stuff they're announcing, I don't want to see it anyway, so fine. Don't make them, as far as I'm concerned. At the risk of seeming a little perverse, whereas I won't challenge anything you've said about Suicide Squad, I did actually quite like Jared Leto as a Joker. So, who are they aiming it at? Well, Uh... I could watch it. (laughs) We've found the one. (laughs) Yeah. There's always one. Always one. But, but you have to remember, whenever we've talked about these films, I'm the one that quite likes the dark universe. <laughs> so the, who does that Jared Leto appeal to? Well, it appeals to the people who like the darker universe, which is, which is not a popular requirement, and therefore it, will, it won't be made for that reason, because there's not enough of us out there that, that want that. But 
but if if they did go ahead, then I think this small group of people, including me, would watch it. See, I so that's not enough to make money. I thought he was more of a pretender than than actually dark. You know, he draws. He has tattoos of the things that he says on himself. He carefully arranges knives in a perfect circle so he can lie in the middle of it. He's too much of a poser to be dark. <laughs> you know. Um, but the thing of it is that w- that could be an important part of a character. That could be the f- the, the, the the Achilles heel of that character. That could be how he gets defeated. You know, he is he is this showman. He is this disturbed individual that just wants to be seen. He needs the audience applause. He's he's brutal because it gets attention in the way the modern world does, in the way that YouTube videos that show horrifically pictures of people being hanged get lots and lots of views, and then all of a sudden the person that puts it up there has to apologise. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realise. Yeah, you totally realised. But you know, it's it's that person. Who, who wants to use the, the most horrific just to be seen, and, and that's a very almost, therefore, modern villain. It, 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 it could have been used well. It could have had a purpose. I, I completely agree that Suicide Squad was not the place for that, but as, as a potential commentary on what makes the modern world horrific, I would be totally on board with that. I could absolutely see uh, a, a technological Batman having to deal with a popularist Joker, that, that that would make a lot of sense to me. I would definitely watch it. But then isn't that just a Batman film where the Joker's the villain? <laughs> you know, if Batman... Not if they... Him. Well, okay, well, that, that was just a... I mean, okay, you, you picked up on something. I didn't mean to be the main point at all, um, so I'll change that completely. A, a, a Joker film where he is popularist and that is what somebody has to fight against or or if the reason that his origin story leads him to that point you know the world creates this awful thing because that is what we are currently hailing as an important part of our current world and somebody takes it to a natural extreme that is horrible and i'll come back to that then i would totally watch that because i think it has that commentary on 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 the real world i mean and I know that some of the other stuff, Batman versus Superman, you know, it wasn't supposed to be really politically meaningful. But, but again, by making you know Superman human, they were going down that route. And I think the Joker could have followed it. But again, I guess you know that's not going to make money. It's it's not what people want to see. And I, I, I totally I totally agree to that. But but am I interested? Yes. I wonder if they'll confirm the fan theory that this version of the Joker is a former Robin. They probably will. It it could be I yeah um I'll go back to my other stuff by preference but why don't, yeah fine <laughs> yeah okay so uh, so we've got two two dislikes and one like on that one uh, for my rise against uh, I'm gonna go with uh, Keenan Lonsdale who plays Wally West is not going to be a season regular in Legends of Tomorrow next season oh uh, that's a shame for me because I thought well you finally found a place for this character. The actor's starting to settle into the role. He's starting to settle in in these dynamics. And now he's not going to be there. I will say that it's only a bad thing as far as I'm concerned because I want to see more of him. It does seem like this was a decision that Keenan made himself uh, because it was some. he wants more out of life. He's, you know, he, he's had a bit of a, a revelatory time of it lately where uh, he came out as bisexual last year very publicly and... Um, so was dealing with that, and now he seems to be 
frittering away and going off to do his own thing. So good luck to him. I just wish he was going to be um, a permanent fixture on Legends of Tomorrow, but he's not. That's a bit of a shame. I'm, I'm a bit like you. I actually quite liked him on Legends. I thought he had found a little home in there, but if it's his decision, then yeah, that's fine. I suppose he's got to go with it, but it's... Yeah. Uh, it's not that they've written him out and they've not said he's not going to be a season regular, but they've not said he's not going to be appearing, so, you know. Well, by all accounts, his last appearance will be the first episode of season five of The Flash. Or his last appearance for a while, at least. There's no further planned appearances after that point. So mm-hmm. um, so there's that. Uh, I don't know if and when he'll appear again. But he did a really nice open letter to his fans on Twitter and stuff that I'll link in the show notes. Um, it's just, you know, it's just a shame. I'm glad that it's not that, well, we can't afford you, we've got Constantine. So, sorry, bye. Um, you know, it'd be, it it probably feel like he won't get a proper goodbye because he'll be in the flash and everyone will forget about him like they always do and then he won't be on Legends. And Aaron will have no opinion on that, not watching the show, so uh, we should just move on. And you were correct. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Ten points to Craig. Ten points to Craig. Yeah. Uh, okay. Right. So we're here to talk about Legion. Uh, should we just dispense with this spoiler-free side of things since we've got three episodes to cover and just jump straight into the spoilers? Go for it. Yeah, we are at episode eight, so. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Starting with episode 8, chapter 16, which is uh, the one... We're starting to make it sound like a Friends episode. The one where... The one where stuff happened. Uh, Farouk got... uh, Farouk found out where his body was, which was the main takeaway from it, in terms of plot anyway, if there is such a thing. Yeah, there is... uh, There is is a bit of uh, plot light over the the three episodes, I think, but it's uh, but yeah, that was the main take from that one. I thought the I thought the interaction he had with Future Sid was interesting because uh, it it kind of shows his as we talked about in previous podcasts the fact that he's lived long enough to to try different things. So the way he manages to reward her for for the information, it just shows that he's willing to negotiate, I guess, and. And doesn't always take a violent route, especially when you can offer someone something. And and in future Sid's case, she got to go on this kind of daydream for being on the open road without a care in the world, which is apparently something that she really wanted. Was that was that who who was it that he put in the? That wasn't Sid, was it? Future Sid, wasn't it? No, I thought I thought it was like a woman in a like a daycare centre. Was it not the funeral driver? I thought it was Future Sid that told him where stuff was. Uh, Future Sid told him where to find the funeral director that had driven the car. Yeah, and the, the funeral director was the, the person that knew where it was. And the funeral director then got the Forever Dream thing. Yeah. But she was driving on the road because that had been her favourite job. Oh, I thought Sid got the Forever Dream. No, no, no. no I think it was it was the, the sort of driver because uh, they knew where they had taken the body. So yes. she said, I, "I just want to be out on the road, and I want my, you know, give me the forever dream," and that's what he yep. did. Uh, oh damn it! Well, he found he, fa- he found he found out his body is at a, a monastery with no fixed address. Uh, <laughs> um, yes. Well, in that case, it still does show that Farouk is willing to negotiate and doesn't always go for the violent th- side of things. 
this person is harmless to him, so he's willing to um, to give her what she wants. Which comes across as the god he claims to be, I think, in that instance. You know, he is he is not actually anti-humanity. If they are prepared to acknowledge his greatness, then then like a king, he can be good to his subjects as long as they know their place. You know? Yeah. And it's just a little bit of depth to that, so it just... It just shows that he's not this force of nature going through, leaving damage in his wake when he doesn't have to. I, li- I quite like that sort of stuff. Complex villainy and all that. I think it shows... Well, yeah, I think it, sh- it shows, as you say, he he does want to rule. He does consider himself to be a superior being. He he wants to be on high, but, but somebody in the position of king needs to be magnanimous to his servants because otherwise you just have to constantly destroy them all the time, but... He, he would he would want a peaceful kingdom to rule over, I think. Yeah, I'm not sure why I got mixed up with Future Sid then. Future, future Sid did give him a clue. I think yeah. that's why you're getting... Uh, uh, future Sid future leads Sid. him, as you say, to this to the older woman in the care home. She gives him that name and locations, and, and he follows that lead. Yeah. Um, so it's I just that one scene leads into the other. Yeah. And I like what Future Sid represents, though. She represents this kind of rift that exists between David and Sid about how the relationship is progressing in this season. I mean, there's this complication that they can't seem to get around. Because uh, they do discuss it, but it doesn't seem to go anywhere. You know, and so they start talking about inheriting the worst traits of their parents or being unable to trust other people or even whether relationships can survive time as people just change through the natural course of of ageing. And like Future Sid is a literal or at least as literal as a show can give us, visualisation of that. I, I really like that sort of that stuff that was in there. Yeah, the way they've been sort of putting the two against each other has been quite interesting through this, and you've been seeing the character development, and I'm not going to go into, well, you know, we've got in a few episodes' time, you get even more sort of Sid getting placed against David, yeah. um, which I'm sure we'll discuss then, but the way they've been building up to that has been very interesting, actually. I don't really have much else to say on that relationship thing, but I do like the, the just the kind of how much they say without really saying anything. It's that kind of there is a problem that exists between them that they can't quite address and they can't resolve it because they're unable to address it. It's a very normal sort of relationship thing, but the way it's presented is is interesting enough. It's definitely interestingly shot as well. I mean, I think this is the episode where they had the conversation on the stairs at the beginning, yeah. is that right? Uh, interesting angles and everything. I mean, the cinematography and the way they've been placing different shots through this season has been really interesting, and that was one that I sort of picked up just because of all the opposing angles and things, and it was very interestingly put. Plus being shot from the bottom of the stairs looking up mm-hmm. rather than sort of face on. There's a nice part of the relationship that comes, I think, halfway through in this episode where Sid catches up with David in the desert. I think yes. it, as you say, it's a, there's, there's, there's a good, believable human relationship going on here because obviously David at this point is starting to go on his own way, trust only himself. And this causes a problem for a relationship, especially when they've agreed between them no secrets, oh, but I'll just have a few secrets. And 
we, you'll definitely make sure that whatever happens, you'll keep me involved. I'll definitely do that. Ah, oh, but I'll just go off by myself for this one bit. So he's he's pulling away, but she manages to pull him back with a very human telling off. And it's quite charming, actually, because it comes after that point where the interrogator says, if you break up with this guy, his anger could destroy the world. Don't do that. And she obviously has that confidence to go out and still, no, I'm just going to tell him off. He is my boyfriend. He did the wrong thing. I'm going to tell him off. And it, especially with that threat of, oh, could David destroy the world? I think it was very charming to see him then suddenly just completely give in to this woman who obviously he could swat like a fly, but he'd say, no, I, I give you the respect of, of trusted relationship. And, and they even do it. The, the actor just sort of almost bows before Sid um, I can't remember the actor's name at all now. I've completely forgotten. But, Dan well, Stevens. Dan Stevens. He almost bows as he's being told off. You know, puts his head down like a sort of a, a scolded child. I thought that whole scene was, was to say, very charming. I, I like I like that she parachuted in just to tell him off as well. Gets dropped from a fighter jet, <laughs> takes off the, the, the sort of parachute, stomps over to him and tells him off. <laughs> <laughs> and they and they wonder why people are are having trouble accepting that anything that happens in this show is actually happening. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think this has been a good season for Sid as well in terms of asserting herself. I mean, last season she was kind of withdrawn and reserved because of her power, but this season she's more assertive. She, you know, she goes after what she wants. She's not shy about communicating what she wants. Um, even you know, with the the threat of her future self. Uh, or the threat, yeah, the threat to the relationship from her future self. She's very vocal about, I'm not comfortable with this. You need to stop this. What's going on? And uh, you know that's actual character development. It's actual character development that makes a lot of sense, because it, of course, like as she starts to find a place for herself, she'll become more confident and uh, and more, and all the practice she's been doing with her powers as well. She's no longer really afraid of them as such like she was before. Something I don't think they are do, or certainly by this point, are doing enough of is the idea that the the future Sid might be that self-fulfilling prophecy. I mean, they touch on it here where it's, if you break up with this guy, he could end up destroying the world because he's that powerful. So you've got the idea that future Sid being there could be the cause of evil David in the first place. You know, and obviously these predestination things are quite common in time travel stories, but um, it's something they could be doing more with, I think. Uh, definitely the way that conversation plays out in the way future Sid's actions are then used in later episodes I mean I've already mentioned what happens in sort of chapter 18 as it's uh, emblazoned but a lot of what future Sid has put in motion is what is then put on present day Sid yeah it's where I start to have trouble with the plot actually is is this I think we've had a lot of mystery leading up to now and there's in episode 10 especially when we're starting to see what is Farouk's plan that seems to resolve, revolve so heavily around Sid I was surprised by the plot I was surprised by what they were trying to put between Sid and David I was surprised by David's response to things I was Surprised by Sid's response to things, it, it, a lot of a lot of strong emotions seem to come from nowhere, 
And, and, and I know it's because it's supposed to have been in doubt which way people were going to go. And that plot that you just mentioned, where is it actually Sid creating this herself by the time travel? I, I don't even necessarily think that's been, as you say, exp- it's not been explored here. It's not been explored much at all. And then all of a sudden, when you hit episode 10, there's some people are really strongly reacting to things when I think, hang on a minute, this is all a bit of a surprise. Maybe at this point, given that you've just sort of found this stuff out, you could actually be questioning a bit more. It could be a bit more open. So I've, I've, I've started to struggle. It's episode nine and onwards. I've started to struggle with some of that for, for that reason. Yeah, there's something we'll definitely get to when we talk to about talk about episode seven and episode ten and you know a few minutes, but the that's what I mean by the kind of they're not doing enough with that kind of idea. I mean the the idea is there because of the whole, you know, whenever time travel's involved, you're wondering if like if it is going to be the time travel rules where the timeline can't be changed and everything is all predetermined. So um, that by this point they haven't really said how time travel works. And I don't think they're actually going to care about how it works. I think it's just going to just keep flying around and changing and all that stuff. Because that's what this show is. It just plays around with perception, plays around with reality every chance it gets. So I don't think any hard and fast rules about time travel will ever exist. Mm, definitely not in the, the Legion universe anyway. I mean, no. we don't even know if that genuinely is future Sid. No. I mean, the show has never given us any reason to doubt its future, Sid, but at the same time, it's Legion, and it throws a lot of stuff out there that you're sitting thinking, is that actually in the real world, or is this all just some very crazy dream? Plug holes um, in the desert and all that stuff. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, there's, a, there's a lot of very weird sort of imagery and stuff around all of this that makes you sort of think, is this just some very weird dream? Uh, you know, well, take, it's the very take, last shot of this of this series. When they when they finally go, do you know what? This is the very very last of our episodes of Legion. Is it just going to be David waking up? <laughs> I think the the thing of it is, I trust Legion with this stuff and have done for quite a while. Especially because season two has been weird compared to season one. I, I believe for the most part, although I might struggle to to. False follow through on this argument with the singing mouse, but for the most part, <laughs> the the weirdness has had a purpose. In in the early episodes, I honestly believe it was about freaking you out. You know, the chattering teeth, the the crazy images to make you feel on edge. You know, the vertigo of the 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 staircases on the outside of the buildings. I really think that was that was to make you feel uneasy. So it was purposeful. And then we go all the way towards the end of the series where reality is in danger because there are two beings who are coming together who have the ability between them to destroy everything. So reality is under threat here. And so the, the later imagery, I, I want to have that purpose like the early imagery had. I want it to show that this could be the end. As you, these two powerful forces come together, the world is under threat. Now, whereas I used to trust this quite a lot, I actually started to fail to trust that when the imagery became ridiculous. I think it's been weird. I even forgive the singing mouse. I thought the singing mouse was was really nice. It was a nice little image. It didn't really threaten anything. But when we go so far as to put the plug in the desert that has no 
I can't see it has any meaning whatsoever. I think we have we crossed the line. We've crossed my line. My line of when I think imagery has a purpose and when it's weird just because somebody said, "Ah, what have we got? I've got this massive plug from this other film I did. Can you get that in? Can totally get that in." It's like, no, okay, you've you've lost your purpose now. Now you're just trying to be weird without actually connecting it to the script. And given that some of the other stuff that's been going on in all the episodes so far have connected to what David is doing so well, especially with John Hamm's narration all the way through, mm. to then suddenly cross that line and go, now nah, this is just weird. I know it should, it should be able to go over the top in terms of that threatening reality, but a big plug hole in the desert with a big plug... That does not say the world is in danger to me. That just says, yeah, we had a prop that we just didn't know what else to do with. And <laughs> I, I, I don't. I admit that everybody's line is going to be in a different place. Somebody might come along and say to me, no, that's totally on my side of the line still. That does to me say threaten the reality because there's a giant plug hole. Water goes down the sink. And so that's the end. And I can see where you're coming from, maybe. So it is subjective, but I, th- I think you're starting to have trouble defending it at this point. It starts getting into that modern art line where people question and go, is that art or is that just yes. a tent with people's names written on the inside of it? Absolutely. And it, it, when I saw the massive pink plug, I'm going, what, what's that there for? What's, what's yes. for the pig? And then there's a, a dead, what looked like a dead rabbit getting flung out the top of it and you're going, okay, that's that's a bit weird. And then it gets hooked in the figment. And you're going, how deep is this thing? <laughs> it's like well, everyone, that, see, everyone that hits the bottom of it should be dead, surely. Everyone's but see, dead. But it's a, it's a hole that doesn't doesn't work like that. There's a trampoline or a sponge at the bottom. or a, It's it's like even the... Even gravity in that thing does not make sense. And also at the same time, they're nowhere near... They're nowhere near the monastery either, and it lead. It appears to lead directly to the monastery. So, well, I, I think the, the the hole itself is supposed to be one of Farouk's weapons. That's where all this stuff's coming out, and he can alter reality. So, the, the stuff coming out of the hole, you know, I, I'm not worried about that. With in terms of him producing his minions, it's like, well, they didn't come out of the hole; they just appeared to. It's just him realizing something and making it real, but. So I, I could have lived with that if they'd have just gone that far. It's just putting the plug on it, which is like, Farouk finds plugs funny, maybe? <laughs> you know, but create, creating an infinite army out of a place, you know, they, well, they've got to come from somewhere. Maybe um, maybe he he did just think that he is below ground, so he just thought, no, I'm just having them come out from where I am. But they could have done something again with the with the bunny. It's like, well... Okay, you did a bunch of Alice in Wonderland references in, in season one, and now you've got a white rabbit coming out of a hole. Okay, let's talk Alice in Wonderland again. Let's talk madness. Let's talk insanity. But no, we, we didn't do anything with that. It was just to uh, chuck it in. No real meaning to it at all. So it, it feels like that. It feels like there's still this attempt to get a connection to what's meaningful. But um, yeah, I'm not convinced. As you say, the modern art thing is coming in, and I'm. I'm not convinced they've really done it. The rabbit itself did have a very specific purpose, though. That was specifically bait. And it was <laughs> supposed to prove that, that Sid was not a nice person somehow. I don't I don't quite understand that. But that was specifically bait that would 
certainly entice Sid to have come down. Uh, that was fine. And you could. That could have been anything, though. It could have been literally anything that came out of the hole. It, it you know, it's yeah, but if you want to make the Alice in Wonderland comparison, you can get there if you squint. I guess. Yeah, Sid is Alice going down the rabbit hole, tempted by this rabbit. I don't know. Yeah. He just didn't have any connection to. I, I see when he starts to. Farouk really starts to play with Sid, which is something I'm. I'm not quite sure works as well. It, I, I might have preferred them to have used something that was meaningful to Sid. I might have preferred them to have done something like the, the music box, as, as she constantly says, um, in, in, in the episode where that comes up. You use a music box, and I hate you for doing that. You know, nobody should do that to me. Um, Actually, I might be like mixing cats. that up with Lenny, but but they, they could have yeah they could have done something that was pe- peculiar to her, particular to her. Sorry, mm-hmm. that would have you know if they want to keep this meaningful and not just random modern art, then I, I would have rather have had something that connected to her that she she wanted to investigate rather than just a bunny out of a hole. They could have they could have made her investigate some delusion because they're big on delusion. That's being mentioned a lot, and they could have got her to follow something that was meaningful. You know, it could even got to follow David. You know, that would have worked. It, it just—I feel like I've—I've I've trusted them to give me meaning, and and I, th- I think that even with the rabbit, they were—they were starting to push that trust too far. It—it—it it, it just seems like a bit—a bit like you said about someone turning around and going, "Oh, we saw this massive plug in the prop store. Can we? Yeah. Do you think we can throw that into an episode? We saw this cool car. It looks kind of a bit like a submarine. We were thinking someone yeah. could drive that up and down the road at some point. You know, it, there is bits that you're going now. Either there's a big deeper meaning that I'm just not picking up on whatsoever. Or genuinely, it is just they're throwing lots at the wall and going, we can maybe make something up about this later, but in the meantime, put it there. And abstractions. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, I can, I guess you can go, okay, it's Farouk. He, he, can, he can change people's perception of the world. He was basically behind Lenny for a while, and then you remember that Lenny used to sort of contort and change David's vision of different things and make it a bit weird. But this is on an altogether grander scale, because none of this is being portrayed as if, well, that's strange. You know what I mean? I've, I, none of the characters seem to look at this stuff now and go, well, that's definitely not the way this world should be. You know, Lenny... After two years of it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, Lenny sitting in, in amongst all the sort of chanting guys with the safes on their head at that point around the hole. Yeah. Is, is just and they're going okay so they weren't guarding it at that point they were just like quite happy to be sitting about and then later on the safes aren't on their head and now they are defending the the plug hole I I, I didn't I, I just there was some bits I was like I don't, I don't get where these monks have now come from okay. it's a shame really because as I say the, the meaning that's been throughout the rest of the, the series I think stands as proof that they can do something good. And one thing I wanted to say about episode eight is, is it is actually up there with one of my favorite episodes of this season because of that purpose. And I, I, even though I've been slagging off a lot of stuff here, I'm really straying into episode nine and 10 when I'm slagging it off with all of this nonsense. Cause the, you know, mm. the plug what's is the plug 10. Was it nine? Yeah, I think it. Yeah, I think it appears. The in plugs the most recent. Yeah. Right. yeah, 
but they but, but the, before that then episode eight is I enjoyed episode eight as much as I did six specifically because of the re, the reveal I think so I don't know if it's necessarily because of and and any particular uh theme like six had this massive theme running throughout it was so strong was but episode eight has this such an important reveal which is where you really start to realize what david is i think you can guess before then because there kind of isn't anybody else in the plot that could be the villain so you, yeah. i think you you do you do guess that it's david earlier than that but in episode eight you get the plot reveal that it is David that is going to be the bad guy here because they have that they have that final drop in from the narrator who gives you the allegory of the cave and whereas I've seen that before in in a few things I, I did actually like seeing the comparison to the modern world and mobile phones I really mm. liked that as well yeah the the whole idea that people aren't seeing reality you're seeing the projection of yeah. You know, a false projection of it because you what you look at Facebook or Instagram or any of these social networks and uh, people just put up what they want you to see and framed in such a way that they want you to take something from it. So, yeah, you don't really know people. You don't interact with people. You're just getting this kind of falseness. And, uh, and tying that to the allegory of the cave is quite interesting. I do think that if you'd cut the narration, the episode wouldn't have changed at all. It felt like a bit of a... A non sequitur, really. Um, well, the, the thing of it is, I, I probably disagree with that because the, as I said, I think the reason this, is, this episode is important is because you don't get to see inside David's head too much, and the only thing you've really seen him do that could prove that he is going to be a, a villain in the future that's that's actively on screen, not just a meta plot where you think, well, it can't be anybody else, is when he starts to implant the images in his let's call them friends' minds. They're not just colleagues, they're friends. Mm -hmm. And you kind of need to look beyond what that is as to what it means. I mean, okay, it might have been obvious to people. Maybe maybe that was immediately obvious to people as what that meant. But I valued having somebody pointing a finger to it and saying, no, think about what David just did for a minute there because it's actually important. It's not just him implanting an idea in his friend's mind because he's got a plan and he just wants it to be known to all of his friends. It's no, this is the beginnings of somebody realizing they have infinite power, realizing they don't have to tell the people they work with what's going on and explaining it to them. They can just make them do it. You know, they they no longer need these people as allies. He's starting to get to the point where he can just go, hey, you're a useful tool. You're a spanner and you're a spade. I, can, I know what I want to do with you. I just go up to your minds, put the thought in, and you'll just go off and do what I want. It's that, it's that step into godhood. It's that step. Mm-hmm. It's that first step into, into him realizing that he actually is a superior being and these people are below him. It's, it's almost Farouk's first victory where he's trying to get David to believe that he is actually one above the others he's the next generation he's he's a, he's a level above and it's it's David succumbing to that and i think you do need that narration to 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 make you look at it and go oh my god this was the first thing this was the time this was the moment he actually crossed the line up until this point 
he has sort of used his powers, but not on his friends. He has fought the bad guys before, but you could argue that he was emotionally disturbed. The realize he killed people is because he was upset. This is the first time, I think, that he's actually, of his own accord, without high emotion, using pure logic, decided... I am going to do something that other people are considered would consider inhuman, would consider to be wrong, would consider to be crossing the line, and and I have no regrets about that. You're you're to do with what I want, you know. And it, it's it, it's important to mark that. It's important to flag it. So I admit it's done with a and the allegory, and you kind of linking it to mobile phones. But this is this is where I think we are the right side of modern art. It's it's it is an allegory. It is saying. This is people not seeing the truth. This is David's delusion, and he's not seen it either. You, you haven't looked at what you're really doing. And, and maybe without drawing that connection, I might have missed it. I mean, I don't know. You could tell me now that you would have seen that anyway, and I'll, I'll totally believe you. I, I wouldn't challenge it. But it, it was just for me, I, I liked seeing those two plot lines playing out with one telling me to look at the other one more deeply and I really got something from it, which I thought was very valuable. Fair days. Um Well, I, I kind of took from the, yeah, David was feeling comfortable with putting thoughts in people's heads and um, and influencing people that way that, you know, he was he was descending into villainy a bit. Um, I didn't really need the extra kind of insight into it offered by the, for want of a better word, essay portion of the episode. Uh, I also kind of thought the the previous John Hamm interludes were really well structured. When you put them together, they make up a very cohesive argument about a specific thing. And then this felt like a bit of an unnecessary addendum to that for me. You know, it felt like you've already made your point. Why are you making it again? It was almost it was almost a reminder or a slight change to that. I I, I kind of get some of the parallels that you're talking about, but yeah, I didn't. It didn't click with me as much. I thought I did like the modern take on the sort of shadows of a cave becoming the the smartphone uh, generation, but it wasn't half as dark as a lot of the others have been. You know, a lot of the others have resulted in uh, in death mainly <laughs> uh, when you've when you've watched them. But this one um, didn't particularly. I I did see your angle though about David. Uh, Aaron, when you were talking about that, the the fact that this is David now using his powers without telling people that that's what he's done. He's sort of planting these ideas, but he needed them to be timed so they couldn't do it right away. If he had told them, they would have done it right away and the timing wouldn't be right. Because he had everything set so that Lenny would be able to break out, for example. He, he And one of the the strongest bits of that episode, I think, was his chat with Lenny. Sort of trying to find out how much of his sister was still in there. She seems to have basically come a little bit back from the brink, and is in a bit and a bit more in control now than she was when he goes to visit. And I, I quite enjoyed their chat. Um, yeah, I think I think the only thing I could I could say on it to for my for my point was that I think I just appreciated the fact that the narrator kept to that old storyline by keeping on with the word delusion obviously that's mm-hmm. been the theme of the whole series yeah. it, one of the most noticeable points of the narrator's speech was the importance of recognising that people matter 
because the delusion that comes with the mobile phones is the one that other people don't matter, which is, of course, directly what David has decided when he implants things in his friends' heads. Their objections or other, or other thoughts to this don't matter. So he's, he, the, the narrator is pointing out that this is a very human problem, this danger that you can suddenly decide other people don't matter is something that can happen to any of us. Now, for David, that could lead to the end of the world. And for the rest of us, hopefully, that is not possible. <laughs> but it is, still a, it is still a problem that we all face. So I think I find it valuable because it's saying that you know you're watching Legion. You know you're watching, and I always get this wrong every time, Omega-level mutant who can end the world with a simple thought. So the importance for the writer is to convince you that somebody so powerful, somebody who's essentially a god, is still human. You should still care. It's still got to be relevant, because if we're just watching God zap each other and destroy the world, it's not interesting. It's not a struggle. It's not personal. Whereas by connecting it back into the problem with mobile phones and the internet says, don't think this is a problem just for David because he's got this power. This problem of thinking other people don't matter is something that actually you yourself could suffer if you're not careful. David's problem is still human. So I, I think I, I just, I liked that framing of the argument. It's, it seemed to make it important in a way that was something other than just, this is quite interesting. There it is. We learn that autonomy is part of the mainframe, although he's not a big part of the mainframe. He can just move around. And is otherwise pointless. Yeah, it's, it's pretty pointless. Although it does bring us to my personal highlight of the episode, Dial-Up Monk. Dial-Up Monk. <laughs> just a monk that, whenever he opens his mouth, he makes the dial-up signal. I just thought it was fun. Uh, dial-Up Monk. You saw Dial-Up Monk downloading his brain in uh, Fukuyama's um, room yeah. a while ago. So that's obviously where Dial-Up Monk went when he was, when he was plugged in. You also it takes get... a while, it's Dial-Up. Yeah, yeah, it takes hours, <laughs> hours and hours and hours. Days, you also get days. you also get a history of Fukuyama as well. <laughs> you, do. you get you get you get Fukuyama origins for for five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and it just occurs to me I didn't make a joke about uh, calling um, calling the Bumblebee film Bumblebee a Transformer story or Bumblebee or or Transformers <laughs> Origins Bumblebee. But now I've made that <laughs> reference, so that's fine. Yeah, now you've made up for it, it's fine. Yeah, that's all good. Uh, yeah, but, yeah. The, otherwise, it's pretty pointless. I guess it's one way to keep him around without keeping him around. Uh, it maybe means that David can't get to him because he's now digital information. Yeah, well, that was that was kind of what they were talking about with, with the Admiral, where they did the origins. It was like, we need a, a brain that can't be touched by mind readers. There's too many mind readers out there. We need somewhere safe to store all our information where no one can re- retrieve it. You know? So, yeah, I suppose if he's in there, then he's retrievable, isn't he? By David, at least. Potentially. But, yeah. but you've now put someone that can go into people's memories inside the head of the person whose memory you're not supposed to be able to read yeah go figure <laughs> there's a hole in the system now yeah. yeah there's a back door being opened yeah and the only other note I really have for this episode is the rickshaw going across the desert thing I mean it's just 
it's another way for Oliver and Farouk to chat about life and um, their their intentions and further the kind of um, their antagonistic plot. I just like that Oliver permanently has a martini. Yeah, <laughs> he's, yeah. he's getting he's like getting Bender. pulled through the desert. He's just got he's he's got his uh, martini glass there all the time. Yeah, uh, and of course the Minotaur is still around, which will take us naturally to chapter seventeen, uh, which is all Melanie. It's the Melanie episode. It's funnily it's the enough, answer to what we've been asking, which is what yeah. the hell's Melanie up to? Yeah, well, it was funny enough you said earlier in the season, Aaron, that Melanie's pointless at this at this stage because she doesn't do anything. So they were all saving it for, I guess, this episode. Did which I have to say, I was very disappointed with. Yeah, um, I don't think it did enough. I think it's disappointing from a modern perspective that she, she's taken out of it and then comes back in and suffers that seemingly 1940s problem of, okay, Melanie, what have you got to tell me? What have you got to do? What's your plot based on? And almost every single sentence is about our men. We, we, are, we are this way because of our men. Our men do this to us and we should resist. We will be better than this and our men can't stop us. And I thought, when has this character suddenly become so pathetic and the, 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 the silly thing is there was an angle here that could have been used she she could have been the leader who's lost her place who has no purpose anymore because for, for want of a better word the Summerland operation has been taken over by the Division 3 operation and so the, the, the leaders of Summerland are made redundant you know you've we don't need you in charge. We've got the Division Three leaders. So they could have had her as somebody who's been displaced and whose sudden lack of purpose pushes them into despair. And I think that would have allowed her to have been manipulated by a clever Farouk who could have, who could have found a weakness in someone's mental state and just totally taken advantage of it. But as it is, she just becomes this pathetic 40s woman who is completely defined by her man and what her man has done to her. And you're thinking, not only does it ruin the opportunity of, 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 of actually getting somebody in a despair state, but it, it uses this horrendous old plot that really shouldn't have a place anymore, I don't think. And it, I think they totally destroyed her character. I, don't, I can't think of anything good that they did with her in either episode 9 or 10 that we shouldn't be slightly bothered by. I mean, it'd be okay if she did actually have a... If she was actually obsessed by men since the start, then you would say, that's her character. But it's not. This seems to have come from nowhere. I completely agree with you on that. I think it's such a waste of a character that had places to go in in season 1 for them to basically go to this and put her in the background for the whole thing. And when she does emerge, it's all based around Oliver, where really in the first season it wasn't at all. I, I completely get your thing about the displaced leader. I, that's what angle I thought they were going to go on. You know, she's went despondent because she's got nothing to do now. You know, but it isn't. It's like all what you find out through this episode is that people have been trying to get her back into the fold the whole time, and she just hasn't. <laughs> She's spent, you know, what what did they say? It's been 13 days. So she spent yes. 13 days in that room sucking the elephant. 
you know so it's like it's like is that really where you thought that character was going after season one i mean we've still got no idea about how the weird wacky pact came about that that somehow formed this no. alliance at the beginning, you know, we, we still know absolutely nothing about that. It just opened with, this is the way it is now, just just accept it for plot reasons and move along. You know, there's nothing being done with that. And I thought, you know, if they were going to do a Melanie-based episode, I thought they would have gone right back to the start of this alliance and shown why she's ended up where she is with that, rather than starting sort of 13 days ago with her still pining over her man. I, it just, yeah. yeah, it just was a bit of a disappointing outcome for me, really. It, it's actually almost embarrassing, and it's only saved by epi- in episode ten when Melanie starts going off on one, and Sid, uh, Sid's response to her "Amen" oh, arguments is is this complete rejection of it. I, f- I forget the actual line Sid uses, but she's just, "What you're talking about? That's really stupid. I've got to go on and do something." And it, it, it almost saves it, but it's it's so far down the plug hole, if you'll forgive. I'm suck, yeah. trying to get my puns yeah, in, obviously. But, yeah, yeah. Um, but one it, of us, one it, of us. One of us, yeah. But, it's, <laughs> but for Sid's rejection of it, yeah, I think it would be a totally embarrassing plot. There's, there's one part of it that almost has some value, I think. And it's not because of what they do. It's more about what it means, and I think that's the bit where Melanie is manipulated by an image of her younger self. Now, I don't want to say that that is, was necessarily the good thing. What I liked about it was because it showed an intelligence on Farouk's part. He was going into someone's head, finding their weakness and using it against them. So I'm, I might not necessarily have, have picked any part of this plot myself that Melanie was involved in. But despite that, I would have liked to have seen more of that influence from Farouk. I want to see him being this king of the mental realm. He can get in your head. He can literally get in your head, by the way. He can see what's going on, and he can create illusions and delusions, and he can completely use them against you. So I think we should have seen more of that, but definitely in a cleverer way than than was actually presented i did like when you saw her by the pool when she gets out of the pool and it's young melanie and then every time the camera went back to her she was slightly older each time so she lies down on the sunbed and the camera pans away to maybe oliver and then comes back to her and she's slightly older slightly older slightly older each time well that's absolutely she's she's uh, giving herself over isn't it that's her Mm. resolve well i think it's I think it's a matter of when she's in her perfect happy place, she's young. But as soon as she starts to realise what needs to be done and the way she's got to get involved and so on, it it takes that away from her. And she's clearly unhappy when she's doing all of this. And she becomes a bit of a mouthpiece for Farouk, possibly. Well, well, she is. She's. She's. I mean, Farouk has moved into her body at one point, which, which is a, which is a, a. I mean, again, that part of it. There's parts of what Farouk was doing that I really liked. Now, I, I didn't like episode 10 at all, but the realisation that you get halfway through, that, oh my God, he's not in Oliver anymore, he's moved to Melanie, I didn't see that coming. Partly I didn't see it coming, because cool, I thought Melanie was so p- 
pathetic. I wasn't paying any attention to her. So maybe if I'd been analyzing it better, I would have seen it. But I totally didn't see it. It was a complete surprise. And and complete surprises in, in plots that revolve around mystery that, that have then their explanation, a proper reveal. They're great. So I, I really like that part. But again, that was Farouk. That wasn't Melanie. I wasn't... I mean, I wasn't especially enamoured with the, the kind of approach in terms of you know what it, what it says about Melanie as a character. Uh, I'd, as as with yourselves, I did like the fruit side of things. I like how he was testing different things just to see what buttons it would press on, uh, on on Melanie's part until eventually he hits on the right thing and exploits that. So you've got the bit where you know Oliver shows up. Uh, just to just to weaken her a little bit, and then it's her younger self, and and then and then and then, it's um, it does seem this whole you know this whole men are exploiting us thing does seem a bit a bit too referential to this whole hashtag Me Too thing, and I'm not saying this hashtag Me Too thing that that's been going around is is a bad thing because it definitely isn't. It's a really it's a really important step forward in, in the industry where people are finally speaking out against the deplorable things that have happened to them. And I wonder if this is Legion's attempt to jump in on that and and possibly you know, possibly play with something that people have a pre established opinion on. Because Lenny's confrontation with Amy is a bit similar to that. You know, it's the literally powerless um, Amy's literally powerless because she doesn't have a body and the implication here is that women are completely trapped by their physicality whether they're trying to attract people or whether people are attracted to them just naturally or trying to exploit them because they think they look pretty or, or whatever else you know that's um, and so Lenny has a body so therefore is kind of responsible for helping the person who doesn't have a body and it's, it's I don't know it's it's a bit of a commentary on the the emphasis on the physical, the emphasis on the superficial, whereas Farouk goes after what someone really is, you know, by digging deep in and down into them and attacking them on their kind of a very primal level. So I don't know if that was missing some kind of point, but that's kind of what I took from it. I think the duality of focusing on Melanie and Lenny with a bit of Amy thrown in, and even later Kerry, was deliberate. I think this was the one for the girls type episode, you know, where they wanted to make that specific point. It's entirely possible that's what it was. Unfortunately, I think the way it comes over, as you're getting to, is that it's it's unearned and it, it's not it's not properly placed. It, it feels like just like there's a bandwagon, as you say, let's jump on it. Whereas if they'd have made it the the, one of the themes of season two, if Melanie had been on that right from the start, if they'd have made Farouk more of an abuser right from the start, if yeah. if we had if we'd have, I don't know if this would have been good at all. It sounds horrible actually, but if they'd have made <laughs> Oliver more of a more of a a nineteen seventies man who really wasn't that respectful to to women right from the start, you would have had this proper parallel with what is going on in our world but because it is just this addition at the end just to jump on what everybody else is riding you're thinking well you've almost managed to take the meaning out of it by just saying oh yeah that's that's totally a thing in our universe as well and so well is it then you should have been doing more with it because it should have been there 
all the time, everywhere, all the characters, or this character all the way through. So I'd, I'd feel like it was a big shame if it was that, but I suspect that you're right. It, the, the probability of it being a false me too is, 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 is reasonably high. Yeah, and um, I mean, I put in my notes that Legion is holding a funhouse mirror up to our world. <laughs> so just just distorting it and you know I think mm. um, yeah the, I mean obviously I picked up on the point if that's what was intended so it did have some success in at least presenting it in such a way although I'm not sure what it's trying to say about anything you know the no. um, what so is Lenny defined by her physicality is she being seduced by dirty old men is she not you know what's going on here and um, it doesn't yeah it's not about anything. Lenny's scenes with Amy are interesting in of themselves because I really like that Amy turns into the, the angel on her shoulder. You know, the, the guardian angel who doesn't let or tries not to let her descend into the kind of drugs and depravity that she did before um, that she so easily falls into. It's It almost mirrors the relationship that Amy has with David in many of the realities uh, that we saw earlier. So it's, it seems that that's just what Amy is. She's that support structure for whoever she needs to be a support structure for. I like that she was sort of an inverse Lenny. Yeah. You know, where yeah. Lenny would always be there in the corner of the room encouraging David to do so many terrible things. Instead, you've got Amy there going, now let's follow the plan and get you back on the road. <laughs> so, yeah. And they are competing for that body, so... Mm. You know, they're, they're trying to kill each other and whatever else, so... Um, there's, there's a bit of that. It's a shame, though, because it's almost like the, the previous plot points we've just mentioned because it is actually quite interesting to see as you say reverse Lenny it is actually um, uh, something that makes you think when you've got two people fighting over a body and and th- the delusion is there so there is technically possibly a theme if Amy is a delusion of Lenny but it again it suddenly just comes in now if you were going to use this interesting plot point then do something with it. Can we have not seen Amy right from the reveal when David suddenly, at the end of episode six, looks into Lenny's face and sees his sister? Could we not have just had Amy turning up as a side delusion right there at the end of episode six, playing through episode seven, playing through episode eight? But really it felt like, ah, we haven't really done much with Aubrey Plaza and we've promised her at least 45 minutes of screen time. What can we do? Let's have a drugs party, let's chuck in a lesbian moment, and then let's have some fun things with a shotgun and a rifle, which otherwise have no real purpose. Let's not forget... Because it's even a shame with... Sorry? The smothering. And random smothering, smothering yeah. for those people into that sort of sexual deviation, absolutely. And <laughs> it's, it's a shame, again, because it, it seems to extend into Kerry. Right, we haven't seen much to do with Perry here. We've also promised this actress some screen time. What does she do? She kicks ass. Right, we needed to get some ass kicking in there. What can we do? Right, Farouk's got to have some minions so she can kick all them in. Oh, that's got quite enough. What else can we have? Oh, let's have this random monster that doesn't really seem to have any purpose. So we'll chuck that in and she can fight that. Oh, brilliant. And it, you're reducing Kerry to just being the old Buffy Xena warrior princess hot woman kicks ass depriving her of anything useful they, they did they did really well with Sid I give you that, you know what you said about Sid and they developed her character and they really gave her something to do and, and that's great but all of the rest of them uh, all of the rest of the women in the, in the plot in episodes 9 and 10, Melanie, Carrie Amy, 
uh, Lenny, all of them were just give them some random things that are not connected to the main plot, that don't really mean anything, that are in, uh, best with Kerry. She's pretty to look at while she kicks ass. It's almost insulting as well that, that you know, you, you'll be okay watching Kerry because she's doing the fighting that you love. You you like to see her kick ass. It's it's almost disturbing, I think, when I when, when started to watch what meaningless plot was being given to, to all of them. And, and thank God for Sid's plot, because otherwise mm. I, I think it, it would have been a total loss. I mean, with Kerry, it seems like they've just they've not they've not hit home what they want to do with her. They seem to play the the naive child card where they're trying to teach her lessons. I mean, in this episode, you get a sort of the sort of confused philosophy lesson with Melanie. Mm. You get that scene, and then you also get the um, our sort of misunderstanding figures of speech. They do bits like that, but then at the same time, they then go, well, she's going to go off and fight people now. And you're going, well, well, hang on, how come she can be so good at combat, she can be so friendly, but she seems to have learned nothing about how to communicate with people or figures of speech or anything like that. It's it, it's like where they, they can't pick what they want to progress with her at this point. Yeah, I think I think so because you notice that she's only stupid in terms of modern connections and modern um, phrases when the plot needs a joke. Mm. We turn to the point in the plot where in in the episode where we need some comedy, right? Who's available? Who's not had a scene yet? So all of a sudden, Kerry becomes stupid again, and she she would have needed to have heard some of these phrases before. She's not switched off when she's in Carrie's head. You know, she's fully capable of having a conversation with him. And he's, what, 50, 60, something like that? And they've, they've been together since they were five or six years old. So she has actually got decades worth of experience, even if she's not been completely awake all the time. They've clearly shown that they have a relationship that's built all this time. And you're honestly telling me she's not heard of any human phrases or sayings it, it's it's purely because they needed a joke. So she suddenly becomes she suffers the flash problem. We need you to lose this ability right the hell now, so we can get a joke or an action in. It's, it's the same with her. We need you to lose this intelligence right now, so we can get this plot point in it. Again, I'm coming back to I'm sli- I'm not. It wasn't funny. I'm slightly insulted. Yeah. Well, the thing about Carrie is I've, I'm struggling to define what the point of the her being the in the driver's seat of the the shared body because they you know they had a laugh with it where she didn't understand how to eat or didn't understand the implications of eating you know what the natural biological processes were because she's never really had to deal with them fine makes sense uh, that's yeah. fine yeah yeah that was good uh, but it's it's been dropped since then it just seemed to have just been one episode where that happened yeah. and then nothing else however i will say that i did find some of what Kerry was up to in this episode quite interesting um I like her idea of what's real. Um, so she's very much on the, if I can see it and I can touch it, then therefore it's real. And she uses a violent example of punching someone or whatever it is. So if she punches someone, she sees that it's, it's real. And considering this show is all about how reality can be, um, you know, how people can be misguided about reality, how people can be fooled into thinking that things that aren't true are true. Um, it's a very simplistic approach that sets her right up to be someone that's easily manipulated. 
Because if all Farouk or David have to do is convince Kerry that she can touch something in order to believe it, that's easy. They can do that, you know, they can do that probably literally in their sleep. So I did find that interesting that everyone else's mind is open to the, the kind of complex nature of what is real and hers isn't. Uh, because she is very much that physical thing. And then that brings the fighting in a little bit because she does kind of think with her fists. Um, it's I think I'd agree with you if it had more purpose, but they don't use it. You know, I'm not, I, yeah, I'm not saying they use it well. I thought the idea uh, was interesting. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Well, like, so, sometimes an idea on its own can just be like, oh, I like that. And then I think to myself, oh, well, they're not doing anything with that. We're moving on now. Okay. And... Um, I thought they were going to do that, use that at some point, you know, where, um, I don't know, maybe David makes Melanie look like one of the minions that she has to fight and she attacks her. Something like that. You know, um, just to just to really confuse the situation because she can be so easily fooled. But yeah, they don't do anything with it and she just seems to be the muscle later on. So, yeah, you had something there. Didn't, didn't have, didn't do something with it. So on that, do you think we're ready to move on to episode 10, chapter 18? Yeah, I Ooh, think so. We've I've already, already gone through half my notes odds and ends. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> we've, still, we've still sort of dropped in odds and ends, I think, from 10, just because we it have. tied in so much yeah. to the other episodes. But, you know, we're doing the sequential thing, so we'll try not to repeat ourselves. Um, this episode is where we fully commit to the idea of David as a villain, but as we said earlier, fails to fully justify it. This is just the episode where he decides to be a villain. But yeah, the, the the sort of journey towards that and the motivation doesn't quite work for me. Um, when he started torturing Oliver, I was I was thinking to myself, why is he doing this? Well, but but the thing is, it's, he was doing that because Sid had been taken away, and he was trying to find Sid, and he still believed Farouk was inside Oliver, so he didn't think he was harming Oliver. He thought he was harming Farouk. But doesn't he say later on that? Farouk's gone, and the implication is he, he thought he'd been gone all along. He was just torturing Oliver. No, he but he only, he, only, he only found out once Oliver, once he had almost finished Oliver off. Mm. He, that's when he figured out that Farouk wasn't actually in Oliver's body, because you sort of saw the, the shocked look on his face. Yeah. But at that point, he then goes outside. Instead of sort of hunting about for, well, where's his body? He then goes and sits outside. And then the next time you see him is when uh, Carrie's come up the stairs from the plug hole <laughs> and and he's now sitting on a throne, all evil like. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like there's a switch between when he's outside and when he goes back in again. Yeah. It's too sudden. He he's suddenly brooding and he's suddenly evil and it's it's not it's not earned at all. I, th- I think there's um, there's a point in in the episode where they try to use three proofs to Sid. Farouk is using Melanie's body to show her three proofs that David's been evil all along. It, it focuses around random images and snapshots of his face, which could have been on. I mean, the first one of his evil face. It could have just been him on the toilet having a very nasty event after a bad <laughs> curry. And it, you know, it, it, it it wasn't proven as evil, and it. So they've got these things where David's done something evil, yeah, but you've taken his girlfriend away. It could have been in the moment. They've shown that he there was something. The second image is is some. I think it's him kissing Lenny or Lenny kissing him. 
And it's like, well, no, it, Lenny might have reached in for a kiss. It, it, it was a simple trick. And neither of the... First of all, it's confused because they're not the same thing. And secondly, it's a problem because neither of them are backed up. Like, one image of an evil face does not prove someone's been evil all the way along. One bit of trickery showing you that David might have done something slightly dubious to another woman, it doesn't match into any other times when he's lied to you. He might have snuck off, he might have been in bed with somebody else, he might have been kissing this other woman. The, the three proofs were nothing. Sid was right to challenge them, and it, it's a bit disappointing that she just gives in straight away to nothing. And then David is immediately evil. I mean, I could see him... Uh, the torturing was a bit far for me, but I, it would have been okay if if um, if they said a bit more about how, do you know what, this isn't in the real plane. We're teleporting around the world. We're actually on the astral plane here, and all I'm doing is shocking his mind a bit. And whereas, if you analyse that completely, obviously it should be as horrible as shocking someone's body, but but you could just say it was the same as them having a fist fight. This, what was going on there mentally might have looked like it was pretty harsh, but actually in the equivalent setup, two godlike beings giving each other a bit of a hand drill, if that's the right way of saying it, is, 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 is the equivalent of just them slapping each other around a bit in the real world. So, so was it was it really as serious? None. I don't think any part of the episode proved to me that this was serious enough that that David had been building to evil. He he is suddenly evil in episode ten. Episodes all the way one to nine, he's confused, and now suddenly in episode ten, he's evil. And it's like, sorry, no, this is all fake. This is all furry lying. It has to be. I know it's not. But part of you wants it to be that way because you can't. I don't think you can. You can. I don't think you can buy into it. The whole thing. As soon as the plug hole came up, it was like, oh no, reality. Yep, not even going to try. It's all just random now. Roll the dice, and that's what happens in the plot. You know, might as well. I, I do think it was just a bit too much of a a switch from me. I know that they've been kind of building on the uh, David's going to destroy the world. He's truly evil kind of angle. But it all seems that he's just reacting to things that have been done to him. It's it's not that he's purposefully set out there going, I'm going to torture Oliver. And when you've seen him in the the sort of astral plane, um, having a fight before, it's been um, boxing. It's been in a ring. It's been like under rules. It's been fisticuffs rather than torture, yeah. uh, which is what he did. You know, so it was sort of like a push too far, but I didn't see it as I'm going down like a truly evil route. No. Because I don't know, I don't know whether we're so used to seeing on TV shows where you get you get good cop and bad cop, and at some point good cop has to turn his back and let bad cop do his thing because, do you know what? It's like we need results and we need them now, you know. And that's what he was looking for. It was a where is Sid? What's happening to Sid? I, I need to know immediately. My issue was more that when he did get the information, he didn't then go after Sid. He went and sat outside. <laughs> it was like, okay, yeah. I've got, I've tortured you. I've got the information. I've almost killed you. Uh, I'm now going to sit somewhere else. And yeah, you know, well, it's that loss there. of purpose again. It's that okay? Yeah, what does this mean? You, you've spent nine or well, eight episodes tr- telling me that these things have purpose, and now it's and now we come to episode ten, and he sits outside. He goes onto a throne because you've shown me an image of him doing that before. It's 
it, it, it's a complete loss of meaning, which I think possibly also stems from a, a couple of points that I think have been lost, which are the same. It's like, well, that doesn't mean anything. Well, do you know what? There's, there was a whole episode six given over to the fact that David wants revenge on Farouk for murdering his beloved sister. And that's completely forgotten in this point of torture. I, they could have made some reference to, I can't believe you did this to my sister Amy. But no, it was, where's Sid? Where's Sid? Where's Sid? Where's Sid? Oh, let's have a love story. We need some love story. It's all about love, which I didn't like either. The whole This whole thing being reduced to some, this pithy little plot about love. But, it, you know what I mean? It, it lost that connection. Equally, it's lost the intelligence. The very first episode we watched which I believe um, I've forgotten his name, Noah Hawley went on onto the internet, did some interviews to say, we are going to completely redefine superhero fights. Here's their example episode one, this fight is actually done in the medium of dance in a nightclub brilliant, I loved that now we get to episode ten, let's have a superhero fight, well I'll tell you what we'll do we'll have a random rubbishy uh, computer generated monster and we'll do some torturing with a hand drill, and we'll make it interesting by having them teleport between cities. It just feels like all the intelligence from that early setup, all the plot threading they put through with things like Amy, suddenly went away into a very dull, predictable, let's make it about love and just do things from Tarantino movies that you've already seen before. There was some little interesting bits. I think um, the idea that Farouk had never considered himself a hero before, but the fact that David being the villain, by default, at least in his head, makes him the hero. So you had that. Um, And I don't think Farouk is capable of being heroic because he's always been so self-serving. You know, he gifts the the daydream thing, the the never-ending daydream, because, you know, it's convenient at that point, but it's not like... It's not an altruistic thing that he does um, the so the, so the idea that he could actually step up and be a hero is interesting to him but I don't think he knows how to do it so I mean I, they don't do anything with it but it's just the, the reaction and I think the, I, I forget the actor's name that currently plays Farouk but his reaction to it w- was well played David Negaban I can't pronounce that right Negaban that guy Navid. So, Sorry, I've done that wrong. I've said David, haven't I? I said Navid Negaman. There we go. This guy. Yeah, that guy. That plays right. him. Uh, he's really that, good, yeah. Yeah, he is. He's very good. Because uh, it's weird that they managed to... They, they gave the, the Shadow King a defined face this season when he had spent last season being so many different people. And still does in this season, to be fair. So, um, that part of it was interesting. David leaning fully into villainy. Sort of... Potentially interesting. Um, Sid being sort of tempted by Farouk into thinking that David's no good. It's the the mouthpiece thing that I mentioned earlier. Although it's very much the men suck message again. Which is weird. You know, trying to convince people that the other gender is evil. It it doesn't make any sense. Um, I agree that some of the imagery shown was a bit out there. Although you had some of the some of the stuff that was more effective, uh, such as 
was it in season one when he wandered in, in Division Three when Farouk had control of the body and just decimated everyone? Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, they, they showed that, you know, where he did the whole. It was very theatrical in the in the way that he was, you know, as if he was dancing through the place. Uh, that was the kind of surveillance camera image, and then there was the um, the relationship or the physical relationship he had with the future Sid. Um, after knowing that present day Sid was uncomfortable with it, so that was, I think that was effective enough. You know that whole should we say goodbye moment. That's yeah, you can see why that would that would be a punch to the gut. I think. Um, eventually I guess she accepts this narrative and and realises that David is bad news but at least for now but I think that yeah I think the resolution of the season will be somehow the power of love wins and nah, I don't think that will be very good no especially because they've gone with the whole delusion theme all the way through the the narration has been on delusion. Everybody's plots have been on delusion. They've even had a delusion monster. That it's there. It's everywhere. And then suddenly to have this line about it's actually all about love. It just feels like somebody who has been stuck in the the the, re, the writing medium, the, the movie medium for so long, realised that death and love are the only two things that matter. And you get into this ridiculous. Hollywood ideology when actually you'd produced something much more interesting and they yeah. could do something in the end episode whereby they can use things like you mentioned with Kerry so they, they try and go down people trying to work out the delusion it could be David and his colleagues friends lovers trying to deal with Farouk's grand delusion which he's set up and they're stuck in the the building at the end, the the the, the, the monastery, but they're being played this delusion, and they all have to somehow work out what's real and what they truly believe. So that it's a very personal story, and obviously mm. you, you could do the thing what you said. You know, Carrie has to deal with the fact that if she hits it, that is not proof that it's a delusional lot. So that's how she has to develop by learning that the world is more complicated than she thought, and. And everybody could have this delusion they were trying to get past, and David's obviously would bring it all together, and it would have made it this very personal story that uh, resonated with the rest of the season's plot to suddenly say it's all about love and turn it into a cheap Disney film would I, I think it's slightly insulting to the audience that have invested a lot of time trying to work out what the hell is going on to then suddenly be told it's a trite message about love, it surely nobody's going to be happy with that. Yeah, and it could just go out of left field anyway. Um, there's still one episode left, which is weird. Although, I wonder if the clumsiness in this episode is a response to the fact that they had to come up with this 11th episode on the fly, so they've, I don't know, they've cut the conflict in half, or they've trimmed down what they were doing here, and Things Maybe. got muddled. It's possible. Uh, I'm not saying it's good, but sometimes if you're if you're met with a weird production glitch that you didn't expect, at this yeah. in this case, in the form of another episode, then inevitably plot suffers somewhere when you have to try and build towards this other episode when you had your maybe had your ten episode arc 
that finished in a definitive place and then suddenly midway through production, by the way, you've got 11 episodes now and they're like, oh no, yeah. what do we do? Um, I and then completely believe that. Yeah. And, and I hope that's true because it means that episode 11 could actually then bring us back round to the promise of the earlier episodes. The finale could actually say, uh, could, sorry, could actually fulfill uh, Holy's promise about redefining superhero battles. You could actually have episode 11, which is, which it is going to be, obviously it's going to have to be some form of conflict, yeah. but it could be, it could be as interesting as the, as the, the, the dance scene in the, in the nightclub, they could they could really take it away from silly physical things like a random minotaur and a massive tuning fork, which I'm glad Farouk treated with the respect that it didn't deserve. I'm really <laughs> pleased with that. Yeah. That was exactly what needed to happen to that utterly ridiculous nonsense, and and they could bring it back into something that is more. Uh, about the mental world is about Mount delusion is about them doing something that isn't just let's end on a big physical punch up yeah um fruit has his body back now so there's clearly going to be some massive power struggle next week uh of some description and i hope it is another dance number we have been sorely lacking in dance mm. numbers indeed what, have we, we have even had, had one since the first episode? Well, Not we had really. dance, sort of dancing mace, dancing, singing mace, so... Uh, yeah, we can no, kind it doesn't of, count. Kind doesn't well, count. It's, it's kind of in a fallow period, it kind of has to count, I suppose, but... Yeah, we haven't had... It was anything. a tease, is yeah. what it was. Mm. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So we haven't had that, so we need that back. Uh, that's what season two has been lacking in, is dance numbers, despite the fact that they were in almost every episode in season one. It's weird. I thought they were like a staple of the series and they were going to make them happen. And, you know, nah. Nah, definitely not. But, uh, so, yeah, so where are we at by the end of this episode? We've got David's evil. Uh, Sid is against him. Yeah. Uh, Sid is against him. Farouk has his body back. He's managed to manipulate the situation to a certain degree. Um... Kerry is fighting minotaurs and doing stuff. Kerry is in danger. Pointless. Yeah. Um, I did like Kerry's fight in the desert, though, the kind of Matrix Reloaded style fight. Where, you know, on, an, on an aesthetic level, I thought it was cool. Maybe I got pointless, nothing out of it. But, but still cool. She didn't do anything funky. It was like the other fight they had. It was it her and Ptolemy when they were fighting the androids? Yeah. She didn't do anything interesting in the fight. I think I was actually more, more impressed. One, it was like it was well choreographed. Uh, maybe, but it was just swinging a staff. You don't get any. I, I was actually more impressed in episode nine when they showed her jumping down from the mezzanine and they had that little camera trick. Um, it kick uh, flipping it, off walls. That was quite cool. Yeah, yeah. and. and it, it, it wasn't just here's a fight, get on, get on with it. It's the same with the androids. You fought because you had to fight. They didn't get her to do anything particularly funky. She's she's great with the staff. Um, okay, love it. I, do you know? I'm, I'm, I was more interested when in season one she turns up to the house fight 
with a with, it was like with a, a mace. Uh, sorry, it was it was it was a big club full of nails, <laughs> and she nobody even knew where she'd got there from. It's like I just happened to have this one in my coat pocket. You know, it was it was different. It was unexpected. There was something about it that made you go, "Wait a minute." Whereas in this, it's like I know she can take down hundreds of people. I know she's that good. It it wasn't yeah, it wasn't new. I didn't think. Fair enough. Uh, like I said, it was just an aesthetic level. I thought it was well choreographed and it looked good. You know, I, I do like seeing well done action sequences. Um, it was like something out of Arrow or something. You know, they they just did a good job with it. So on that note, I think we should probably wrap up because I don't really have anything else to say about episode ten. All my notes we've gotten through. Uh, yeah, I've got nothing else. Um, other than it's a bit weird that the show wants us to suddenly vilify David, you know, because you've got the idea of you follow follow a set of heroes and villains and these types of shows, and suddenly they're flipping the script on that. But we kind of touched on the fact that it doesn't make sense for them to flip the script because they didn't earn that flipping of the script. But it's just weird that you're suddenly expected to see the lead of this show as a villain, and I don't know how he's going to come back from that. I, I think they're going to flip it round in this coming episode. It'll be a case of, of if the power of love, if Sid says the right thing in the right way, suddenly he won't be so evil and it will turn out that Farouk has been bad all the time for manipulating her into thinking that David was evil and they'll take him out at the end. I don't, I don't know. I mean, they've got a lot to, to win back in this final episode, really, to make, to tie a lot of things in, to make things make sense and not just be there for reasons you know they've got to come up with a bit of justification for some of what people's watching and i think the reason or in my opinion i think some of the reasons that the ratings have maybe been struggling a bit is that people that watch it to go oh i want to try and figure stuff out i've just had so much rubbish flung at the the wall that they're going what is any of this supposed to mean and it turns out that when you strip all these random bits out of the way that it's just not as compelling. Yeah. I agree. Um, so we shall wrap up. Uh, some configuration of this podcast will return to talk about the final episode next week sometime. It'll be, well, next week as of this recording. Who knows in terms of when you're listening. So we'll figure something out there. Uh Chris, thank you for being here. Thank you. And Aaron, also thank you for being here. Lovely. And on that, we will pull the plug on this podcast. So, that was our discussion of Legion Season 2, Episodes 8, 9 and 10, or Chapters 16, 17 and 18. A special thanks to YouTuber331ERock for the supplied music. If you like what you heard, then hit that subscribe button on iTunes, YouTube or any major podcasting app. iTunes users, please leave us a star rating to give us that all-important love. If you have any feedback on our Neil Before Rise Against feature or anything else that we've discussed here, then hit us up on Twitter and Facebook under Neil Before Blog or leave a comment on neilbeforeblog.co.uk. We hope you'll join us on the next Neil Before Pod.